Hey, before we get into today's episode, I just wanna let you know that my candle company, Knox & Vesta, has just released some brand new amazing scents. We've been working on them through the wintertime and they're finally here and ready to add to our collection. Our three new scents are Koi, which is a honeysuckle, pear, bourbon, honey, tobacco candle, Persephone, which is a pomegranate, citrus, black pepper, oud and saffron candle, and the Isles, which is my new personal favorite right now. It's a saltwater, fresh air, green herbs, and patchouli candle. It is lovely. Make sure you head over to noxvesta.com, N-O-X-V-E-S-T-A.com to learn more about the candles, learn more about the company, the philosophy of the beliefs, how we source our ingredients, and of course, to check out the new products. Thanks guys. What if the company you worked for told you your pay was going to be about a dollar an hour? What if that pay would be garnished up to 80%? And what if your refusal to participate in this system could lead to consequences of solitary confinement? Well, this is the reality for thousands of people incarcerated in the criminal justice system working for private companies. Just looking around the average household, there is likely at least one thing that has come from inmate labor sold by a massive company. How did this happen and how pervasive is this practice? Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Corporate Casket. Today, we will be discussing the history of inmate labor and the multiple companies that have allegedly utilized inmate labor to produce their products. People who are incarcerated or have been previously incarcerated rarely get to have their voices heard. So I find it important to shine a light on the stories. In an NPR interview, a person named Dominique Morgan shared their experiences. My day would start at 4 a.m. I would go into the kitchen. I would make the breakfast for 1,200 men. I would work lunch. I would work dinner. And I make $2.20. I obviously will not reiterate the entire interview because it's worth a listen on its own. But I do want to bring up a few key points throughout. After Dominique Morgan pled guilty to theft and forgery, they were sentenced to spend eight to 16 years in prison. Upon going into the Omaha Correctional Center, Dominique was hired for their first job they ever had in their life and began working in the kitchen. According to Dominique, they would work 12 hours a day and made $2. By the end of the month, Dominique Morgan would have made $54. Unfortunately, most of this would actually go to small things like phone calls, a bag of Doritos, or a simple stick of deodorant. Not only did Dominique have to work for limited pay, but they were forced to do so under threats of consequences, even when they were extremely ill. Dominique explained that when they were diagnosed with HIV, when they first got into prison, they would often not have the energy to work for 12 hours a day. But Dominique was not able to have days off and they said, I had to work. You don't get days off. You don't get to have sick days. And if I didn't go to work, it was a rule violation. After working in the kitchen in prison, Dominique eventually got a job working with Oriental Trading, making a measly 37 cents an hour. Oriental trading produces things like party napkins or plates. And you might know those things that you know you pick up in a dollar store or something for a kid's birthday party or a random get together. After working 10 years for Oriental trading while incarcerated, Dominique left prison with only $300 to their name. And get this, they actually sought out Oriental trading when they were released to try and get their job back. And they were met with a response that they did not hire felons. So this company that Dominique had worked for for 10 years while incarcerated told them that they do not hire felons. It's a bit ironic, isn't it? Dominique Morgan's story, unfortunately, is not unique and similar things happen every day in the criminal justice system. So how did this happen? First, how is it possible that private companies are even able to use inmate labor to produce their products? How are they able to pay people so little to do it? What's exactly going on here? Well, let's get into a little history of how this came to be a common practice in the United States. 
Now, I've talked about the history of the prison industrial complex and the criminal justice system in the United States in a previous episode about private prisons and the companies that run them, like CoreCivic and the Geo Group. But I'm going to briefly go through some of the history again for those that have not heard the episode yet, or as just a reminder, because inmate labor is a whole different monster in the criminal justice system. The rise of the use of inmate labor all started with the 13th Amendment. Meant to put an end to slavery, the 13th Amendment had one small loophole that has given way to both the growth of the privatized prison system in the United States and the use of inmate labor to produce food, services, and products. Slavery had become illegal in 1865, but the clause in the amendment, except as a punishment for crime, had given way to multiple states implementing new laws that promoted the arrests of largely black people for widely meaningless transgressions. Then once convicted, these people would be placed in the horrific system of convict leasing. By 1865, 13 states were participating in convict leasing, where people who were incarcerated were leased to companies to work in their factories, on railroads, and in the fields. The treatment of the people who were leased were horrendous, and many people were subjected to torture in the form of punishment. Even though convict leasing was widely phased out of the prison system in the United States by the later 1920s, it was quickly replaced by chain gangs in the South. Chain gangs were widely regarded as a solution to phasing out convict leasing. However, chain gangs were once again, free labor exploited from people who had been incarcerated. This new system forced people to work on road construction, ditch digging, or farming will chain together, hence the name. The presence of the chains often caused people to develop ulcers or infections on their ankles. Chain gangs eventually transformed into work gangs, which were the same general idea. People were forced to work hard labor jobs. The only difference now is that there were no long and heavy chains linking the people together. So how nice of them. Despite the violence and brutality associated with convict leasing, it isn't sympathy that put an end to these practices. Instead, it was economics. In the 1930s, workers unions began speaking out against inmate labor and argued that the members of these unions would not be able to compete against low cost inmate labor. And do keep in mind that when I say low cost, at this point in time, I mean no cost. These people were not being paid at all for the grueling labor. Stian Rice, a researcher scientist at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County said, the real conversation is between, to put it bluntly, prominent segments of white society arguing over what's the best economic measure to take. The fact that inmate labor was a brutal, extremely violent kind of arrangement does not play into the conversation. Then in 1934, the Federal Prison Industries, which has now changed their name to Unicor, was established through an executive order from Franklin D. Roosevelt. I'll talk about this more thoroughly in just a little bit. One year later, after immense pressure from union leaders, the United States passed the Ashert Summer Act. This act prohibited the interstate sale of goods made using inmate labor. However, like always, there were a few loopholes. First, because Unicor was and still is a government agency, they were widely exempt from the rule. Second, agriculture was widely exempt from the rule as well. Then in 1979, Congress authorized the creation of the Prison Industry Enhancement Certification Program known as PIECP. PICP? PICIP? I don't know. Now that we have a little bit of background on how inmate labor came to be, let's dig into a little more into PICIP and Unicor before we talk about how private companies have taken advantage of inmate labor over the years. According to the Federal Bureau of Prisons website, Unicor's mission is to quote, protect society and reduce crime by preparing inmates for successful reentry through job training. Now, at first glance, that sounds fantastic, right? Preparing people for life outside of prison has repeatedly been shown to reduce recidivism rates and programs like the GRE programs, training programs, and emotional health programs have repeatedly been suggested as ways to take a hold of the high recidivism rates in the United States. 
However, when you dig a little deeper into the practices of Unicor, there are definitely some things that don't sit quite right with me. Job training programs are all well and good, but Unicor isn't simply job training. It is very, very low paying jobs for massive profit. According to their website, Unicor currently produces over 80 products and services, ranging anywhere from sewing to building furniture to working with electronics. Additionally, Unicor sells products to the Department of Defense, which again, according to the website, accounts for over 50% of its sales. But Unicor also has the authority to sell products to the commercial market. That means they can sell products or services produced by incarcerated people to private companies, not just government agencies. This was made possible in 2012 with the passage of the Consolidated and Further Continuing Appropriations Act. In brochures released by Unicor, they detail how cost-effective it can be for companies to work with them, especially those who are adamant about having their products being American-made. Their sales pitch reads in part, there's no need to deal with the hassles and logistical nightmares often associated with outsourcing in a foreign country. We perform many of the labor-intensive services that are moving offshore, and we continually investigate new opportunities to provide skilled labor to commercial firms looking for a stable, productive workforce. Now, unfortunately, the pay for people who are incarcerated is exponentially less than what would be legal to pay anyone else outside of prison. Unicor pays their employees, or rather their members of their program, as they like to say, between 23 cents to $1.15 an hour. To make that even worse, the program requires that people who have financial obligations contribute 50% of their earnings. These financial obligations can range anywhere from court-ordered fines to incarceration fees. And you might be like, hold on a second, they're incarcerated. What kind of fee could they be charged for? Well, they include paying for their own room and board in prison. So yeah, people in this supposed program are working for barely any money while incarcerated and then paying for their incarceration in part too. Meanwhile, Unicor reported $300 million worth of sales in just the first half of the 2018 year. The Bureau of Prisons calls Unicor one of the most important correctional programs and says that FBI Unicor truly plays a role in the management and safety of federal prisons while making a positive impact on the thousands of men and women in our custody so they have the best possible chance for a successful transition back to our communities. Not only does this federal company have a vast history of paying people who were incarcerated next to nothing, but they also have a history of cutting corners in the things they produce and worker safety. In 2010, for example, combat helmets built by Unicor had to be recalled after it was found that Kevlar dust was used to patch up parts of the helmets. Serial numbers had been switched or changed altogether and expired paint was used as coating. So basically they had purposely cut corners on building life-saving helmets for the military. Additionally, Unicor has had multiple issues with unsafe working conditions, including exposing people to toxic substances in their electronic waste recycling facilities. After an investigation, the Department of Justice Office Inspector General found that the culture at Unicor did not sufficiently value worker safety and environmental protection. I feel like I could have told you that without the inspection to be honest, but there's the proof anyway. Now I do want to mention that there have been some evidence that people who participated in Unicor's work program were less likely to recidivate. The post-employment project found that people who worked with them were 24% less likely to recidivate than those who didn't. But the fact remains that underpaying people well below the federal minimum wage for sometimes dangerous and labor-intensive work is worrisome to say the least, and it could be done better. The Prison Industry Enhancement Certification Program, or PICIP, was established by Congress in 1979. This program has a few key differences from Unicor, the biggest being the pay. While the program does allow correctional facilities and companies to partner with private companies, it does require that those companies pay people who are employed through the program a prevailing wage. This usually means that people are required to be paid at least minimum wage or over it. 
There have been some reports that some facilities have not held to this requirement and find loopholes not to pay people the minimum wage. But similar to Unicor, people who participate in the PISIP program don't often receive their full wages. Instead, states are actually permitted to garnish up to an astounding 80% of their wages on taxes, room and board, and other expenses that they deem necessary to be paid. People who are incarcerated and have participated in PISIP programs, which includes multiple subcontracting companies working in call centers, manufacturing clothing, furniture, and multiple other things. As I said, PISIP allows contractors within the program. Because of this, many companies have been accused of and have admitted to using inmate labor to manufacture their products. So let's talk about a few of them. In the 1990s, the National Institute of Justice released a report that shocked people. The study found that Third Generation Inc., a garment manufacturer in South Carolina, was also operating a factory in Leith Correctional Facility. Third Generation had employed 35 people who were incarcerated to sew lingerie and leisure wear. These products were then in turn purchased by JCPenney, Victoria's Secret, and other apparel companies. Originally, like many other companies, Third Generation had been looking into expanding their business and opening manufacturing plants in Mexico or the Caribbean. But after discovering the prison industry in South Carolina, they decided to expand by using inmate labor. The president at the time, Merv Epstein said, "'We could not find enough qualified industrial sewers in rural South Carolina, and the prison solved a real problem for us in that respect.'" To give at least some credit to third generation, according to the report, they did hire some of the women who had worked for them while they were incarcerated after they had been released from prison, unlike the story with Dominique that we mentioned earlier. However, after the report was released and the world collectively realized that two of the most successful clothing stores were using inmate labor to make their products, both JCPenney and Victoria's Secret reportedly ended the practice. Victoria's Secret has since been accused of using inmate labor and forced labor to make their clothing again. However, the company adamantly denies the claims and says that they have a strict policy of not sourcing products manufactured in correctional institutions or prisons. They also claim that policy includes any other form of forced labor. They claim that since ending their relationship with third generation, they have not used any subcontractors that use inmate labor to manufacture products and quote, do not tolerate such behavior. Starbucks was actually also accused of using inmate labor in 2001 to package their coffee. According to an article released by Seattle Weekly detailing the relationship between Signature Packaging Solutions and Starbucks, Signature Packaging Solutions used Twin Rivers Correctional Unit to produce both brightly colored bags of chocolate covered Starbucks coffee beans and Nintendo Game Boy systems that were set to be released during the holiday season. Steven Strauss, a formerly incarcerated man, told Seattle Weekly that the majority of the workers are hired for big jobs, which come around holiday times. We used to package all Starbucks coffee for the holidays. With Nintendo, we would do all their overflow, everything from Game Boys to games like Super Mario and Donkey Kong. Then again, we have to give at least some credit because people were being paid at least minimum wage, which at the time was $6.72 an hour. Starbucks actually admitted to being aware of the use of inmate labor, which seems pretty rare for companies to admit, and said that the contract was entirely consistent with our mission statement. And that mission statement, by the way, reads, to inspire and nurture the human spirit. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but using inmate labor doesn't really seem inspiring to the human spirit. However, it's also important to note that the company was not required to pay for any type of health insurance or contribute to a retirement fund for the employees. In a Twitter exchange between Starbucks and other Twitter users in June, 2020, users accused Starbucks of continuing their use of inmate labor to produce their products. After Starbucks posted a tweet supporting Black Lives Matter, a Twitter user replied saying, how about you don't use inmate labor for 23 cents an hour, then we can talk. Starbucks responded to the tweet by saying, Starbucks has a zero tolerance policy on prison and forced labor. This not only applies to our direct suppliers, but to all contractors and subcontractors. 
Our supplier social responsibility standards make clear we do not tolerate the use of forced or involuntary labor. The user responded by saying they had seen reports on multiple sources that claim that Starbucks was still using inmate labor. Starbucks responded and said, Starbucks has had relationships in the past with suppliers that used inmate labor. However, at this time, none of the suppliers we contract with engage the practice and our supplier social responsibility standards have been in place since 2006. Throughout my research, I couldn't actually find any announcements from Starbucks in 2006 that they actually like announced and made it a big deal that they discontinued their use of inmate labor, which is a little bit odd. Now there's always the possibility that the company is still using inmate labor to help produce their products, but at least for now, they seem adamant that they are not, but time will tell. The agriculture industry has historically utilized inmate labor to grow, pick, and produce food for private companies and has benefited from loopholes in previous laws that allow them to sell food across state lines without participating in federal programs. According to the counter, over $40 million in transactions have been discovered between food companies and prison industries from 2017 to 2021. Some of the biggest food industries have worked with prisons to produce the goods that go into restaurants and grocery stores, including Cargill and the Dairy Farmers of America. This even expands to Whole Foods Market, one of the largest grocery chains in the United States. The Colorado correctional industry was not quiet about the fact that they sold tilapia to Whole Foods Market. Then in 2015, the founder of End Mass Incarceration Houston organized against the practice, claiming that Whole Foods was supporting exploitative practices, including extremely low pay for the people incarcerated in Colorado. Allen said, people are incarcerated and then forced to work for pennies on the dollar. Compare that to what the products are sold for. In a bizarre response, Michael Silverman told The Salt in response to the protest that they like employing people who are incarcerated. And he said, "'We felt that supporting supplier partners who found a way to be part of paid rehabilitative work being done by inmates would help people get back on their feet.'" He went on to say, however, that the company have heard from some shoppers and members of the community that they were uncomfortable with Whole Foods Market sourcing products produced with inmate labor. One of the companies that was selling to Whole Foods, Haystack Mountain Goat Dairy, claimed that they were going to start sourcing dairy from other farms that didn't use inmate labor so they could continue their relationship with Whole Foods. However, John Skaggs did say that he continued to support the inmate labor program in Colorado and praised it as the model example of a prison work program. Once again, work programs can be beneficial and can help with rehabilitation, but it is vital that we also consider the pay of the people working in comparison to what these companies are making from them. For example, Skaggs said that the people working in the prison work payment were only making $1,500 to $2,500 a year, not a week, not even a month, just one year. Just because I really, really, really wanna put this in perspective for you and just making a simple phone call in jail or prison can cost anywhere from 21 cents to $1 a minute, depending on the state. So if someone works 365 days a year at the high range of making $2,500 a year, that means they're making around $6 a day. If they have a 30 minute conversation at 21 cents a minute, their pay for the day is already gone. Just think about it. Just imagine working an entire day and only being able to afford a 30 minute phone call or less. Oh, and by the way, that's not even including taxes, room and board, and the other fees we've discussed that they tack on. This is tied to other private companies like JPay, which profit from forcing people who are incarcerated and their friends and family to pay for phone calls and emails. So private companies in the criminal justice system run deep. But moving on, a spokesperson said that the company no longer uses or sells products that have been made using inmate labor and went on to say that the company's code of conduct was updated in April, 2016 to avoid the practice. Their code of conduct now reads, Whole Foods market suppliers must not use forced labor, slave, prison, indentured, bonded, or otherwise, 
Whole Foods Market does not tolerate suppliers that traffic workers or in any other way exploit workers by means of threat, force, coercion, abduction, or fraud. Far more companies have been accused of using inmate labor, including huge corporations like Walmart, McDonald's, Wendy's, Sprint, and Verizon, among others. Not many have admitted to it. And in fact, according to PolitiFact, many of them adamantly deny or refuse to talk about it. Though Walmart did admit to using suppliers that utilized, quote, voluntary inmate labor. Over the years, former and current people who have experienced incarceration have spoken out against inmate labor or participated in nationwide strikes and protests. And when we return from this sponsored break, we're gonna go ahead and talk about those very strikes and protests. Online shopping isn't slowing down anytime soon. Is your business ready to keep up the pace? With ShipStation, you'll never have to worry about shipping again. Make the switch to a solution that handles all your shipping needs quickly, affordably, and painlessly. I love that with ShipStation, they show me comparable rates between the different carriers, so I know how much I'm going to be paying and I can select what I want confidently. And ShipStation works with every carrier. So again, you can find the best fit for you. Your business can have the same discounted rates usually reserved for Fortune 500 companies, which is a pretty sick discount, FYI. So ship more in less time with ShipStation. Use my offer code casket to get a 60 day free trial. That's two months free of no hassle, stress-free shipping. Make sure you go to shipstation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page and just type in the word casket. Again, shipstation.com and just click the little microphone, type in casket, make ship happen. That's a good pun, isn't it? I like that pun, is that too cheeky? Let's roll with it. This episode is also sponsored by Upstart because for many people, getting financially healthy means dropping the weight of credit card debt. But where do you start when it feels like a never ending cycle? Upstart can help you pay off your existing debt quickly and easily with a personal loan so you can start living your best life. If you have multiple credit card balances every single month and are only paying the minimums, you'll barely make a dent in your credit card debt and it can be really discouraging. So it doesn't really matter if you're paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debts or funding personal expenses, maybe even using it to help start a new business. There's over a million people who have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date and no surprises. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com casket. That's upstart.com casket. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information that's provided in your loan application. Make sure you go to upstart.com casket. Crisis and corrections investigation continues. The I-Team has learned tonight that inmates in Florida prisons organized a sit-down to protest prison conditions. I-Team investigator Adam Walser has been uncovering details about the planned demonstration and the actions the state has taken. In August 2018, people who were incarcerated in at least 17 prisons protested the poor conditions in prison and exploitation of inmate labor. One person, Amani Sawari, acted as a spokesperson for the movement and told a Vox reporter. Prisoners want to be valued as contributors to our society. Every single fiend and industry is affected by some level of prisons from our license plates to the fast food that we eat to the stores we shop at. So we really need to recognize how we are supporting the prison industrial complex through the dollars that we spend. The protests run by multiple criminal justice and prison reform activist groups, including jailhouse lawyers speak, outlined 10 different demands. These demands included an immediate end to prison slavery. All persons imprisoned in any place of detention under United States jurisdiction must be paid a prevailing wage in their state or territory for their labor. 
It also included an end to racial overcharging, the reinstatement of Pell Grants, and the reinstatement of voting rights for all confined citizens serving prison sentences, pretrial detainees, and so-called ex-felons. During the three-week protest, people who were incarcerated performed work strikes, hunger strikes, and sit-ins. Additionally, they called for the general public to boycott the companies and agencies that utilize prison labor to produce their products or manufacture their goods. People in prison are largely in charge of running multiple aspects of the facility, including cleaning, yard work, and providing the food, and of course, working for other companies outside of the prison. Of course, these types of protests can come with multiple consequences for those who participate in them while incarcerated. Karen Smith, who led the Florida chapter of the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, told The Guardian that prison authorities had moved strike organizers into solitary confinement to prevent them from discussing plans for the protest with others, including the media. Additionally, Karen told The Guardian that other inmates have been warned that if they continue to contact advocacy groups, they will be moved to the most brutal camps. Despite the threat of severe consequences, the people continued on, arguing that this protest was vital in the fight to end prison slavery. Officials in the prison system insist that they can't afford to pay people who are incarcerated more for their work, saying that prison labor is associated with extra costs and the expenses are ones that employers in the free world don't typically have to carry. So if the cost of using prison labor is so damn expensive, then what's the point of doing it at all? I find it wildly difficult to believe that the cost of using inmate labor is more than hiring people who are not incarcerated or in the free world, as they put it. In fact, many companies have said and admitted that they chose to use inmate labor because it was less expensive than not using it. So clearly that doesn't seem to be what they're worried about. It seems to me that they're more insistent on not paying people in prison because they think they don't deserve it and lean on the loophole in the 13th amendment to excuse it. But it is important to remember that incarcerated people still have bills that need to be paid, families to support and need to buy things while incarcerated, including things like hygiene products, jackets and food among other things. And these items are often overpriced as hell in prisons and jails, as I mentioned earlier, and wages usually made by those who work while incarcerated don't really allow for people to be able to actually afford anything. By the end of the nationwide protests after 19 days, it was reported that people participated in hunger strikes, boycotts, and refusal to work in a variety of states, including Florida and South Carolina. However, it was also reported that in some prisons, including a maximum security prison in South Carolina, they were just placed on lockdown for the majority of the strike. Eddie, an organizer with Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, told The Guardian, "'They have suspended all recreation "'so that we are in our cells literally 24 seven. "'They turn our backs on mail, "'threaten anyone associated with the strike "'with solitary, and they've painted windows "'in our cells black, "'so we have no idea whether it's night or day.'" In the end, a lot of the demands have still been unmet, but the strike did gain national attention and at least started a conversation about the treatment of those incarcerated. More recently in 2020, people who were incarcerated sued Aramark, Alameda County, and Sheriff Gregory Ahern in federal court saying that the company receives an economic windfall as a result of uncompensated labor of prisoners confined in Santa Rita jail. The people incarcerated in Santa Rita argued that they were performing unpaid labor both for Aramark, which held a $94 million contract with the prison and the prison itself. In a Mother Jones article, Dan Siegel, a lawyer representing the people who had worked in the kitchen said, Santa Rita and therefore the county are stealing the wages that have been earned as a result of the work of the prisoners. We speculate that it's at least millions. However, a spokesperson for the county, Sergeant Ray Kelly said that Aramark was to blame for the unpaid labor, not the county. He said the whole operation is run by the Aramark Corporation. We just kind of facilitate. The lawsuit, in addition to claiming that the county and Aramark were violating human trafficking laws and labor regulations, alleges that sheriff's deputies would force the inmates to work. It alleges that incarcerated people were threatened with solitary confinement or time being added to their sentence if they refused to work. 
So far, and unfortunately, there is no update on the results of this lawsuit. Now, there are some disagreements on the ethics of private institutions or government entities utilizing inmate labor. While there have been some studies that show people who participate in these programs or these jobs are less likely to recidivate, a lot of those studies have also been fairly selective and didn't follow sampling guidelines that would lead to actual accurate results. Even so, if this is true while reducing recidivism is obviously a great goal, the other goal should be providing fair and ethical treatment to people even while they are incarcerated. Is it fair that people working while incarcerated are making less than even minimum wage while providing labor for multi-million dollar companies? What about the portion of their earnings that are being taken away by fees, room and board, and even taxes, despite not being able to vote? The stories of those who have spoken out, especially those like Dominique, who after rejoining society was denied a job by the very company they worked for while incarcerated. Or Davis, who worked eight hours a day under threat of solitary confinement, added time, or transfers deserve to be heard by the public. So what do you think? Should the use of inmate labor be allowed in the criminal justice system? Or is this an unethical form of modern day slavery? I obviously have my own opinion. I've laid out a whole slew of facts for you to come to your own opinion and conclusion, but this is going to be the end of today's episode. I hope you learned something new here. And if you did, make sure you're liking, following, and subscribing so you can stay up to date on all the recent episodes. I really appreciate you spending some of your time here with me today. I know it's valuable and you spent it here anyway. So thank you so much and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.